Welcome to Third and Nerd, the show that breaks down everything nerd culture with a little sports thrown in. On the show, you'll hear discussions about the latest superhero movies, TV shows, and comics as well. You'll even hear interviews from the artists and writers who helped create the characters you know and love. So strap on your super suits and fire up your flux capacitors, because here are your hosts, Josh Webb and Adam House. Welcome everybody to an all new Third and Nerd. Uh, today the show is being hosted by yours truly, uh, Mr. Adam House. Um, I'm speaking in the third person and doing this gig because I'm without my regular co-host and partner in crime, uh, Mr. Josh Fight on Twist. Uh, so he's on a cruise, uh, currently swimming with sharks in Hawaii and having a grand old time. So he Not- left us here to hold down the fort, Adam. Oh, that's true. I have Scotty as a, as my wingman. Hi, Scotty. How are you doing today? Good, man. How about you? I'm very good. I'm very good. Thank you. Uh, so let's just get right into it. Um, today, uh, we are joined by a gentleman who has quite an illustrious uh, career in the world of comics and uh, literature. Uh this gentleman has a career that spanned almost two decades at Marvel Comics. Uh, he has been a writer on everything from Dazzler to The Deadly Foes of Spider-Man. Um, he even did the official adaptation of the Howard the Duck movie comic. Uh, for those those of you familiar with that uh, bastion of uh, Marvel's cinematic uh, grandeur, and he has also written several books about the comic book world. And one of those books is recently uh, just made its way to bookstore shelves. And it is called A Marvelous Life, The Amazing Story of Stan Lee, a definitive biography. The gentleman's name is Danny Fingeroff, and we welcome him to the show. How are you today, Danny? I am doing great. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, so I guess we'll start with the book. Um, because it, it's a it's a great read. Uh, I haven't quite finished all of it yet, but getting through it, um, it's a real page turner, and uh, I'm enjoying like every minute of it. Um, Thank you. No worries, no worries. So I guess my first question to you is what, why, why a stand biography at this point of your career? Well, you know, there's multiple answers. Um, I guess I wanted to write a biography of someone who was both uh, representative of Stan's generation 
And so that would be Stan, you know, the other generation of the people who first uh, started doing superhero comics in the 30s and 40s. Um, and Stan was unique because, of course, his career then took a lot of twists and turns that uh, most people didn't. Um, you know, even even the some of the most successful and well-known people within the comic book world um, and within the graphic novel world never achieved that worldwide fame that yeah. Stan did. So I found that interesting. I found, you know, the evolution, you know, of Marvel connected with Stan and then when they diverged. So that was a big part of it. And, uh, you know, on a purely... Uh, commercial level, there are, you know, sort of the same kind of thing. I wanted to write a book that um, would, would would overlap into the mainstream beyond the world of, of purely comics fans, and Stan seemed to be one of the few people uh, you could write a book about that would do that. Right, right. So going back in time um, to, the like, when you first joined Marvel, what what is your recollection of the very first moment that you met Stan? You know, I really have to work on this because I don't have a great first meeting with Stan story. You know, because I, you know, I, you know, one could say my first meeting with Stan was when I was eight years old and I read the Fantastic Four. You know, but um, Stan was had not moved to California when I started at Marvel in '77. He was uh, coming in uh, several days a week and kind of supervising things on a general basis. He was he had the title of publisher, and so he was doing a lot of big picture planning. And uh, my first job was working for his brother, a guy named Larry Lieber, who was the co-creator uh, with Stan and Jack Kirby of uh, Iron Man and Thor and Ant-Man. And Larry was uh, running a, uh, a division called the British Department that put out comics specifically to be uh, printed and uh, sold in uh, the UK. And so Stan, you know, I kind of have uh, that memories of um, him being in our office, me being in his office, maybe to get a cover approved or something. Um, I don't, I don't have a great here's Stan Lee, here's Danny Fingeroth story. It just sort of if you worked at Marvel in those days, Stan was around. It was sort of like having, uh, it wasn't sort of having, it was having a living legend around, but he uh, was um, just doing his job, and part of his job was uh, was, was being publisher. So I don't, I don't have a, a, oh my God, what an incredible moment uh, story. Um, I have other stories about you know, working with him, and certainly the first time, I ever edited a script that he wrote. That was kind of wild. But as far as actual first meeting, I have to make something good up. Okay, Danny, I <laughs> gotta hear your favorite working with Stan story then. Uh, well, there's a, that's a, there's a lot of those because I worked with him uh, at Marvel, you know, on a number of projects. Um, often I would be uh, editing or consulting something he was working on, including the. Spider-Man animated series from the early 90s. Um, but I also interviewed him many times uh, for um, when I was doing uh, Right Now magazine for Tomorrow's Publishing and 
when I worked for different internet startups, since I was the guy who knew Stan, I worked with him a lot. Uh, one of my favorite stories really is not is not that long ago. I was working with the Wizard World convention chain. I was organizing and inventing and moderating uh, like 10 or 15 panels for every one of their shows. And part of that included being Stan's moderator, because Stan was a regular guest at the Wizard shows. So there was one um, one show, I think it was 2013, in the Sacramento, California. And uh, Stan had missed his scheduled appearance on Saturday because he was having a um, bad reaction to a flu, uh, flu shot. And uh, they sent a plane for him, and they brought him in on Sunday. And he could still, he still looked a little shaky. Um, and the president of the convention got up in front of the uh, audience of like, you know, four or 5,000 people that gathered to see Stan and explained that to them that Stan wasn't feeling well. He's having a bad reaction to a flu shot. And uh, but he was a real trooper, and and uh, he was gonna, he came. He didn't want to disappoint the fans, but he would only do a 20-minute panel instead of a 45-minute panel, which was the standard length. Um, so the guy introduces here Stan and Danny, and we come up, and and we're chatting. And I could see, you know, Stan, even you know, he had trouble almost walking up the steps to the stage. You could just see he was not feeling well. But once we got on stage, he really perked up, and. Um, Everybody, you know, both from uh, the convention and Stan's handlers, they're flashing me, you know, uh, 15 minutes to go, 10 minutes to go, 5 minutes to go. Okay, you know, finish it up. So I say to Stan, um, well, Stan, as John explained to everybody, uh, you're not feeling well because of that flu shot, so it's only a 20-minute panel. Anything you want to say to the folks uh, before we wrap up? And he looks at me and he says, is God talking to you? Did he say we have to stop? I feel great. Let's keep going. <laughs> and, and, of course, everybody is running around backstage flashing me signals that I don't know what the hell they mean. Um, and uh, so we kept going for about another 10 minutes until I was finally, you know, get to get it, got him to reluctantly leave the stage. So that, that's one of my favorite stories. It just sort of, about Stan and and how much he loved, um, you know, performing and answering questions and talking to fans and and how he was, you know, a real. I've seen that with a lot of uh, older creators where you think they're going to collapse um, or, or or barely be able to make it onto the stage, and then once they get there, they're so energized by it that uh, that it's as if they were, you know, 25 years younger. So that, that's one of my favorite stories. It, yeah. It's amazing, really, like, like how gregarious and, uh, you know, even energetic he was, even in his twilight years. Like, you know, he would have been, if he was still alive, he would have been, like, what, 97, I think, this month, later this month. And uh, this, this year he was, yeah, 97. Yeah, like, yeah. And uh, he, uh, I would just, mar like, literally marvel at how, you know, over the last decade, you still see him around, you know what I mean? Like, at that age, like, doing what he was doing. It, 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 I think it probably stood to, or spoke volumes about, you know, him living such a, a long life, you know what I mean? And, and I think the way he carried himself and the energy that he put forth and, and the love and adoration um, that he received, it, it, it just, it, yeah, it's just a testament really to who he was. Well, I think he enjoyed what he did, you know, and he was, 
you know, I, I think he liked, you know, I mean, people always say to him, why, you know, uh, why don't you retire? Why do you keep pushing yourself? And he'd say, well, people retire to do what they want to do, but I'm doing what I want to do, so, you know, please don't don't uh, suggest that I stop. Um, and, and uh, yeah, I think it did keep him going. I, I don't think he's somebody who would have been well-suited, you know, to... Uh, to just sitting around the house or going to a, a senior community. He didn't, you know, I think like a lot of um, creative people, he didn't, I don't think he had hobbies. You know, he was, Stan wasn't a person, you know, he had so much to do, you know, with writing and uh, coming up with new characters and meeting with people. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of his life, I think, was meetings, you know, to sort of try to get, you know, projects off the ground, you know, in Hollywood you know, for every, you know, maybe one project takes place after, you know, 100 meetings or 100 projects are proposed. So he was very resilient that way, too. He would, you know, if he didn't like one thing, whether it was something he was pitching on his own behalf or for POW or for Marvel, he would just uh, come up uh, with, with 10 other things. But it did, I think, that sense of being needed. And I think he loved... You know, you can debate whether in the last year or two he should have been dragged around to conventions. And you, know, you, 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 I'm sure you've read all the horrific stories about, you know, people kind of making him, you know, yeah, when he was when he was seemed to be falling asleep. But overall, you know, I would say certainly once he was on stage, uh, you could tell he loved what he was doing. You know, um, and, and 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 at that point he could hardly see and hardly hear, but he. You know, he could hear well enough to answer a question. And his mind, you know, I, I saw him, last time I saw him was less than a year you know, before he died. And, um, you know, and he, um, his mind was very sharp. And as far as I could tell, you know, it's not to say that he wasn't in many ways sort of a, uh, you know, there definitely were aspects of him that was like a helpless old man. And he did need people's help to get from room to room and, and so on, but you know, once you put him in a situation on the stage or in private where he could draw on his on his memory, which was great, and on his uh, wit, which was which never failed him, you know, I think in those situations he he um, went literally until the end, you know, and, and was you know I, I don't know how he, how he always felt, but he was always entertaining and, 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 and compassionate with fans and, and people who came to visit him. And from the outside, he just seemed like one of those guys that would just live forever. And in some ways, because because of his work, he has lived on. Uh, yeah, well, and, and he will continue to, you know. I mean, I think, um, you know, those characters that he created with Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko and, and, and his brother Larry and, and with John Romita, all those, you know, those characters, that's a hell of a legacy. You know, and and you may say, um, well, you know, Scorsese and Coppola and people like that uh, have been uh, disrespecting them lately. But, uh, you know, I think that those guys are even noticing what Stan did, is, you know, shows how far he helped bring you know, the, the comics in general, superhero in particular, and Marvel in particular, you know, really, you know, the company, while the company had been very large in the 40s and 50s, and he was supervising a large staff of uh, editors and freelancers, you know, it had, it had a couple of times almost disappeared completely, you know, and right before 
that Marvel revolution of the early 60s, um, the company had almost, um, certainly the comic book division had, had, had almost uh, gone away and Stan really uh, you know, called himself the human pilot light. And he was pretty much the only employee of the comic book division. And if he wasn't a distant relative of the owner, he probably wouldn't have held that job either. I think I think a lot of the reasons Stan, you know, wasn't um, kicked out, you know, when when Marvel, you know, uh, almost went away was just because uh, Martin Goodman didn't want to have to explain to the rest of the family why he had a fire stand. You know? <laughs> in, in the book, uh, you're talking about like uh, Martin Goodman, whatnot. Um, in that early early part of, of Stan's life, I think that that's one of my favorite aspects of the book. Actually, like you really sort of dig in in deep um, on Stan's early life and and the family connection in that, and touch on 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 uh, Larry and and whatnot. And I think that that adds to the book uh, in a major way because it, it sort of a lot of that sort of stuff gets glossed over when when people talk about Stan. They all sort of sort of talk about more so the comics side of things and i'm just wondering like how where, where did you sort of like go to dig into that into that side of stan's life and was that from speaking with him or just other sort of research and whatnot well i'm i'm uh you know larry as i, I mentioned uh, hired me uh, in, uh, for my first job there and and uh so i've always known him and uh, and i've become uh, quite friendly with him in recent years you know, although I'd always seen him and we were very fond of each other. So I got a lot of um, background from him, although he's nine years younger than Stan. So, you know, he obviously couldn't tell me uh, what Stan's early childhood was like. But I, 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 I really wanted to find out a lot about that. Because when I, when I first, when I started writing the book, I thought, you know, uh, what people mostly are going to want to know about is those like ten, you know, golden years of, you know, sixty-one to seventy or so, when, <coughs> excuse me, when when the Marvel characters were created and codified, and uh, then maybe the more recent Hollywood years, and so you know, who's going to really be interested in reading about his childhood and those and those first twenty years um, as editor of Marvel? But then the more I, I thought about it, and the more I you know, kind of research, I realized, well, you can't explain what happened, you know, with Marvel and in the years since without really having a, a, a grounding in those first 38, 40 years of his life. And he did a lot of interesting stuff in those years. It wasn't, he wasn't just sort of hanging around thinking, hmm, hope maybe the Marvel age will come up in 20 years and I'll, <laughs> you know, and I'll become famous. He really, you know, he was a he was an active, imaginative, creative guy with a family to support, and um, hold on, and um, you know, and 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 interests and and and, uh, and and friends and the social life and 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 he was, I mean, starting at age uh, eighteen or nineteen, he was in charge of of what grew to become, you know, one of the biggest, if not the biggest comics publishers in the country you know you know the kind of the 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 marvel legend everybody loves and it's a great story is always little engine that could it was this tiny company and stan jack and steve and larry put these characters together on the fly and and it went from being you know uh, limited to eight titles a month to these 
multi-billion dollar movies and it's a great it's a great classic kind of story um but you know the fact is that there that that timely had been huge and the fact that Stan Stan was well regarded in the industry people mostly people liked him they didn't think he you know they thought he was a affable guy a talented editor a decent writer um you know but he had no fame beyond the world of comics and and uh, and the people who worked in it he you know he'd had some he'd had some success with syndicated strips because he was always looking to do other things and maybe even to get out of comics because comics got no respect from anybody so i just i just thought that huh you know if you're writing a biography and and i wanted the book to be much you know i didn't i didn't want the book to ha- to be a hagiography you know i didn't and i didn't want the book to be simplistic, you know, I wasn't writing it for six-year-olds. I was writing, you know, I wanted to write a real substantial biography that could hold its own with biographies of uh, of film directors and uh, and politicians and and uh, world leaders and uh, and and all the all the movers and shakers of, of our culture. And I thought Stan deserved that. And and those years are just. Uh, to me, and I hope uh, to the readers, and the reviews have been very good, and the sales have been good. It's going into a second printing, so uh, I think it, people respond to that to understand, you know, where all the stuff we know as Marvel came from, you know, in ter- from Stan's perspective, you know, uh, and you know, I certainly give a talk. I talk a lot about his collaborators and and Goodman, who is the owner, but obviously it's a biography of Stan, so he's going to get the most attention. Right. Um, I think, you know, you touch on that point of, of making a biography that sort of, you know, uh, hangs with like the best of, of, of biographies out there. I, I definitely say it does, uh, from what I've read. It's the, another good thing about it that I've found is like, um, you sort of make a, like a, a you, you do a sort of thing where you're, it's not all just about the achievements and all the, all the good times and stuff like that. You also like you focus a little bit like on the controversies of the sort of um, sort of dog stand for for some of his life and his career, and I think I think once again that kind of adds another layer to the book, uh, not sort of shying away from that. You know what I mean? Uh, well, I think uh, they're very they're important uh, to, to the to the story of his life, and I thank you. I appreciate that, and many of the reviews have. Have uh, referred to you know what uh, my treatment of those issues as even-handed. <coughs> I mean you know I mean a lot of this you know a lot of this has to do with stuff that went on 50, 60 years ago. You know when when many you know when uh, well I was you know when, when we were either children or or a lot of people reading weren't even alive. And uh, so I don't you know I don't know if there'll be a definitive who did what but i just felt it was necessary and important to kind of give the various accounts that the people who were there doing it have given and including when the accounts that the same person gives don't match up as you know with with stan and with kirby um their stories uh were not consistent you know, I think a lot of it depended on how they felt about each other, how they felt about Marvel, how they felt about Goodman, how they felt about whoever was in charge. You know, I think I think just sort of, for me, if you look at the work of all the parties concerned, both before 
and after the work they did together at Marvel. I think in most aspects, their Marvel work is the, their collaborations at Marvel is the high point of their careers. And, um, you know, so whether they loved or hated each other, there was something about the chemistry of their working together that produced this incredible body of work. And I, and I thought it was, um, you know, I don't think it takes anything away from from Stan uh, to give voice to those controversies. I mean, I think I think in I think ultimately, since he was the editor and art director and ultimate decision maker, um, I think a lot of it does fall to him. Uh, a lot of it, you know, a lot of credit should go to him. And I think, um, you know, he. He and certainly the credit for creating the brand that is Marvel. You know, the, he's. I think he's. That's one thing that's pretty uh, incontrovertible. You, you know, that without him deciding that he was going to make this Marvel brand, and then ended up being so closely identified with it simply because there was no one else in the company who was available to do that or had the ability to, you know, do uh, to speak in public or. Or barnstorm, but I mean, I think I think there was something about his ability as a team leader that you know that kind of catalyzed the entire thing. Now, you know, again, who got adequate credit and who got paid enough and who, you know, these are all the controversies that'll never go away. You know, um, and I and I address them in the book, and I think they're important. Um, you know, but somehow or another, whether it was fair or unfair, whether he, you know, took advantage, whether they sometimes, you know, um, behaved maybe in a in a not totally professional manner. I don't know. That's I, I try to lay that all out there. You know, ultimately we have this body of work that, you know, that nobody. I mean, certainly. When they were coming up with the Fantastic Four, with Spider-Man, with with all those characters, for them to imagine that we, you know, I mean, never mind the technology of having people in Australia, New York, and and uh, and California uh, talking at the same, you know, I mean, so I, just the idea that anybody would care about or be thinking about these characters 60 years after they invented them. Would, would would have been in, you know seemed insane to them. They had, you know, they were just they really were just looking to make a living and make a deadline and and maybe use the comics to get the that they were doing to get the hell out of comics. You know? <laughs> so um, you know there was no great pride in being in comics in those days. Even if even if they made a good living, there was you know the classic stories that Stan and other people tell. They'd be at cocktail parties. And and people, you know, would say, oh, what do you do for a living? And you know, one guy would say, oh, I'm an architect. The other guy, I'm a lawyer. And they'd say to Stan, what do you do? And he'd say, uh, I'm in publishing. And they go, oh, really? What kind of publishing? And they go, uh, oh, you know, children's publishing. They go, really? That's fascinating. What kind of children? And they finally, he could no longer avoid saying that he was a writer and editor of comic books. And then they would uh, suddenly uh, walk away and go talk to somebody else. You know, So it was not... You know, nobody nobody was jealous of anybody working in comics in, in the early days. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very true. That's very true. Um, so just uh, going back to like something you said earlier, 
uh, Danny, and you also mentioned this in the book, um, you talk about the very first comic book that you actually owned, which was, I think, Fantastic Four, number four. So that's correct, yeah? There's a footnote to that, but uh, go on with the question, and I'll... <laughs> yeah. no, I'm just, I just want to know, like, it's, and it's probably a long shot, but do you still own that exact copy that you had as a child? Um, no, I went through various phases where I, you know, gave away, I threw away my comics as a kid in, in a in a um, fruitless effort to um, demonstrate some sort of maturity. Um, so, so I don't, and uh, the comics I do, you know, I was never a collector. I was, ne- you know, I was, a, I'm an accumulator and something of a hoarder, but I'm not a, I'm not a collector. <laughs> so, you know, so <laughs> even, huh? I can relate to that. Don't yeah. worry. So, well, yes, I think anybody who's on this podcast or listening to it can probably relate. Uh, it's, yeah. it's uh, only comic book people, whether they're fans or professionals, it's only the comic book people when I ever refer to my storage unit and they and nobody, you know, nobody bats an eye. In most in most other scenarios, if you're having a conversation and you mention your storage unit, people go why are you wasting your money on storage? You know, you're never going to look at that stuff. Who, you know, that's crazy. Just get, just, just throw that stuff out, and uh, you know, and you'll be able to go on a nice vacation or something. Why are you wasting your money on? Only people in comics involved with comics never, you know, they'll, they'll say, "Oh yeah, I, I have a storage unit too. I have five of them." You know, right? <laughs> um, so, so, um, uh, I don't have five. The hypothetical person has five. Look, I'm trying. I am trying to. I'm trying to cut down, but. Um, so, um, uh, so I, I don't, um, I actually do have a copy of Fantastic Four number four, but it is hardly mint. It was like a really beat up copy I bought at a convention a few years ago. Um, you know, I, I, what I've realized, I think, uh, just writing the book and just thinking about it is Fantastic Four number four was the first thing that I bought that that I could that I could identify as a Mar- although I don't know if they, they hadn't even branded themselves as Marvel yet then um but it was, it was that first comic from, from from that company but I realized that um when I was even even younger I would uh, go to get my hair cut and my local barbershop like a lot of barbershops in 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 uh in New York and probably elsewhere I I would think had a box of comics to keep kids, you know, from squirming around when they were getting their hair cut and they'd have something to read. And I think that I first encountered Millie the Model, written by Stan, in the barbershop uh, a couple of years or, or, you know, two or three years before uh, I, I was aware of this Fantastic Four thing. And, I, and it's very interesting because I, you know, I think I even, I might even have, now that I think of it, I might even have bought some Millie the Model comics because I like the ones in the barbershop, but that was really prime Stan Lee. Stan loved writing humor, and he loved writing goofy um, kind of sitcom-like stories like Millie the Model. Um, you know, that's and, um, you know, where where you can see almost some of the subplots and the romance plots and, and the humorous stuff, especially in Spider-Man, but but in the FF2, and, uh, you know, in all, the, in all the Marvel comics, really has its origins. You know, what one of the you know one of the main innovative things that Marvel did 
was they added depth and added characterization, you know, uh, to the stories. They weren't so concerned. Um, you know, the DC comics of the year, which I loved too when I was a kid, were often very plot driven. You know, Batman would find a clump of of mud on a on a perp's shoe. And he'd, uh, you know, the guy would get away, but he'd take the mud and look at it on his microscope and in his uh, mobile bat lab and his batmobile, and he'd figure out where the mud was likely to come from, and he'd track down the bad guys there. Um, the Marvel books were not so much about that. You know, they were more, they, they had plots, but they were they were not so detail-driven. They weren't really mysteries. They were... They were more about character and humor and romance and and interpersonal conflict and the Fantastic Four squabbling and breaking up and getting back together and and you know the love triangle between Reed Richards and Sue Storm and the Submariner, um, you know. So so I, I think that that Stan's experience in a hundred different genres um, really served uh, served those Marvel comics well. Yeah, it's it's very true. It's very very true. Uh, so, as someone who is as busy as you are, whether it's writing books or um, doing a lot of public speaking and and whatnot, do you still find the time to read comics? You know, um, not so much. I, um, I I every once in a while I'll dip my toe. I do subscribe to the Marvel Unlimited. You know, which. So I'll, I'll dip my toe in what's going on, or friends of mine, or or, or creators I admire. I read more um, independent graphic novels. I read a lot of nonfiction. You know, to write this book, I read a lot of other biographies. Um, so I'm guessing I read more comics than the average uh, the average grown up. But I but I, but it's more um, off you know offbeat kind of things. Um, even you know, I'm sort of I'm, I'm fascinated by the phenomenon of uh, Dave Pilkey and uh, Raina Telgemeier and and uh, Jeff Smith and um, you know and, and of course the um, the guy I'm blanking on his name who does the uh, Wimpy Kid books. I'm I'm I... I'm, pre- I'm fascinated that. You know, and and of course, uh, I, I you know I work actually as a consultant to the Will Eisner Studios, so um, um you know Eisner is a constant interest. Uh, the work of the uh, underground and independent people, the Crumb and Harvey Picar and Kim Deitch and uh, and people of that uh, that era and that uh, you know that um, that alternative kind of view. So I'm. Um, you know, I, I, I guess in some ways I'm like uh, the general public. If I want my superhero fix, I go to the movies. You know, right? yeah. um, that- you know, I'll I'll sometimes go. I'll say if somebody if there's a lot of buzz about you know a particular storyline. I did enjoy, say, the Superior Spider-Man storyline that uh, Dan Slott uh, did about uh, Doctor Octopus becoming Spider-Man. But very often. I'll I'll hear about something that's got a lot of buzz, and I'll go, well, this is, you know, this is fine, you know, but this is like a storyline that I either read or that I edited or wrote, you know, 30 years ago, um, with maybe some, you know, modern uh, veneer on it. So yeah, it's, you know, I I I find that as I get older and I sort of try to 
you know, um, value uh, my time. I'm kind of pickier with uh, with what I read. I'll, I'll um, you know, and you know, as someone trying to sell a book, I shouldn't say this, you know, but <laughs> I get I get a lot of my stuff out of the public library too, you know, which is. <laughs> Thing. That's not a bad thing. Supporting public libraries, it's a good thing, definitely. <laughs> okay, yeah, I, I believe that, and I and I support them very often with my overdue fees because half the time I forget <laughs> to bring the books back, and I go, boy, with all the overdue charges, I could have actually bought this book, you know. But uh, yeah. <laughs> you touched on you touched on uh, the Marvel films, um, and of course, you know, like the general public, uh, myself and Scott and, and my co-host Josh, we have seen all of them. And, we talk ardently about them. So I'm just wondering, like, uh, are you fully up to date with, like, the, the last phase of all the films that were released over the last decade? Yeah, well, those, I mean, I would see them anyway, but Marvel actually um, invites, um, uh, I'd say for the past the 10 years or so, Marvel has been inviting people who work or have worked there, and I'm still tangentially involved uh, you know not directly but I was a consultant on that Marvel traveling exhibition that was in Seattle and Philadelphia and now it's in Canada maybe it'll come to Australia I don't, I don't know if there are any plans it's uh, called uh, Marvel it's called Marvel Universe of Superheroes it's produced by a company called Semmel uh Productions from Germany and it's a tri- you know even if I wasn't a consultant it's a terrific show because it covers not just the movies and TV but the comics as well it's got an issue of Marvel Comics number one from 1939, and a page of art from it. I and mean, it's got some incredible, you know, uh, I, I I think it still has the page of art. The the as the show travels, different collectors take their stuff back with other collectors loan stuff. But but it's definitely it's a show that's as much for comic fans as for as for um, as for movie and TV fans. So yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty up to date. Um, oddly enough, the ones I've been enjoying the most have been the Ant Man movies. <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I, I um, uh, some of the others are a little too ponderous for me. I love, uh, I, just, I just love um, the the lightness of, of the Ant Man movies. They re- they remind me a lot of the original uh, Lee and Kirby and Lee and Ditko stories. Right. Paul Rudd is brilliant in those films. He, you know, he makes them uh, very enjoyable. But I think you know. Also, a place of the strength of those films is the ensemble cast too. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they, they add they add their own little sort of flair to it. Um, in terms of the the new films, the slate of the new films we're expecting over the next few years, is there any one in particular that you're you're more excited for? Uh, well, I'm curious about the Black Widow because I, you know, I would uh, when I was doing the uh, the con- that the convention circuit with Wizard Wizard World for. Four years, um, you know. One of the things I would do, I would, I would show, I do a slideshow, you know, history of Marvel comics, and kind of one of my, you know, smart-ass lines that would always, you know, get a laugh from the audience is, um, you know, so where the hell is the Black Widow movie already? You know, and, and I guess they finally called my bluff, um, and then, you know, they, they. Uh, well, I don't want to spoil the. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to spoil the end game if anybody hasn't seen it. But you know, the end of that movie made it seem unlikely there would be a Black Widow solo movie, and yet there is. So I'm. I'm. I'm you know, that's the one that I'm probably most anxious about. Uh, what? What? What else is on the menu? Remind me of what else is coming up. 
Uh, so next year you've got that, and then you've got the Eternals. So um, they're going to give uh, the Jack Kirby treatment. Uh, right, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious about the Eternals. That, yeah, that, that should be – yeah, I'd like to see what someone does with, with a pure Kirby concept. You know, that's something that he wrote and edited and, and scripted. You know, that he wrote and drew and, and, and edited. Um but I, but I still, yeah, I still think um, Black Widow is 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 the one that uh, that I'm most curious about. Mm. And from the recent trailer that came out earlier this week, it looks pretty amazing, actually. Um, it does, it, yeah. It looks like it's going to be right up there with the Winter Soldier in terms of that kind of sort of like uh, spy thriller kind of vibe. I hope so. You know that. Um, you know it's, it. Um, yeah, we'll we'll see. But I've, I've been anxious about that and. And also now, now, now I have to come up with some other, you know, uh, snarky remark to make uh, the next time I do one of those Marvel history uh, panels. <laughs> Dan, um, you've worked on just about every major comic character that anybody would want to work on. It's mainly the two ones that I saw on your website were Spider-Man and Superman. But I'm just curious, out of the work that you've done, do you have a favorite? Well, as an editor, I mean, I'd have to go with Spider-Man since I was so associated with that, and I got to work with a lot of great people. And 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 getting to work on Peter Parker's life is a real privilege. You know, it's a he's a he's a fun guy. You know, despite all his problems, it's fun to you know. It's fun to work on Spider-Man. Spider-Man brings out the best in in, in, in a lot of people who work on the comic. I, I'd say one of my favorite things I ever did as a writer in comics was a graphic novel. It was originally called Avengers: Death Trap the Vault, and um, and then it's coming out. We we re, we repackaged it as a Venom graphic novel because Venom was the villain, and when Venom was popular, we. But that was. I like that Ron Lim did a beautiful job drawing it, and it was one of those ideas that came to me quickly, and I put it down in like a half-page pitch, and uh, Howard Mackey, who was the editor of The Avengers at the time, um, bought it right away. So it was, you know, it was one of those things where it just sort of magically appeared. I pitched it. It was approved. Before you know it, it came out. It sold well, and I was happy with the, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was happy with it. So that's, that's sort of, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, you try to make it look effortless, but something, you know, um, it's just sort of difficult or, you know, you have to strain for an idea or you have to go through 10 different drafts. And this... This, just my memory of working on that was, you know, very just a very easy thing, and and uh, and came out nicely. So that's one of my favorite uh, memories of something that I wrote. Uh, Danny, I, I don't want to keep you any longer because you've already been very gracious with your time, um, and I feel like I could sit here and talk to you forever about the world of comic books and stuff. You just have a wealth of knowledge and. Uh, interesting stories to dig from, but uh, I just wanted to give you the opportunity to sort of let the, uh, the listeners know 
where they can find you online, uh, where they can get your book, and also where they can interact with you on social media. If you just want uh, to. Social media, I'm on uh, Facebook, uh, Danny Fingeroth, oddly enough. Uh, my website is Danny, uh, is DannyFingeroth.com, and the email there is the highly imaginative Danny at DannyFingeroth.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, and those are, those are my major, you know, my main social media, uh, hangouts. Um, if you're, I don't know when this is going on, I'm going to be a guest at the Big Apple convention in New York, uh, on the 14th. And, um, I am, I am available and interested. If anyone in Australia wants to fly me out there to promote the book, I would be, uh, happy to discuss that. Uh, that would be, cool. be very cool. All right. So if you have any ideas, please, uh, uh, let me know. But I, I just finished a West Coast tour that was very successful. The book is going into a second printing. I'm this week. I'm recording the audio book. So if anybody's waiting for the audio book, that should be out in January. But there's, of course, there's a there's a Kindle and digital version out, and it's called A Marvelous Life: The Amazing Story of Stan Lee. It's published in America anyway by um, St. Martin's Press. I think it's Simon and Schuster has it in uh, England, and I'm not sure who has it. Is it out in Australia? I haven't se- I haven't actually been into a bookshop lately and, and to have a look, but um, if I just do a quick Google, I'll see if it comes okay. up. All right, uh, well, certainly, and it's available, you know, at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all the other online booksellers. Yeah, I think in it, is it is it available in Australia? I would hope. Hello, you, you there? I'm here, yeah. Yeah, you put no. yourself on pause, Adam. No, yeah, I, I think uh, someone was trying to call me. I, I'd have to reject the call. Apologies for that, gentlemen. That's okay. Is is the book available in Australia? Yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to find that right now. Um, Australia. I dare say it would be. I dare say. It well, anyway, it's certainly available online at, at, at all the usual suspects. Yeah, yeah, you can definitely buy here in stores. Uh, a, good, a, couple of leading, a couple of our leading retailers, Dimix, uh, is good. one of them, and um, it's, yeah, it's on fishpond.com.au as well. So yeah, it's it's around. It's definitely around. Beautiful. Well, thank you for uh, for having me as a guest. Uh, if you do want to do a part two, let me know. We can. I'm sure we can make that happen. That would be fantastic. I, I definitely think uh, we should do that, and I think Josh would love to be a part of that because. Uh, as much as I'm sure he's enjoying himself, I, I think I dare say after he listens to this, he'll definitely uh, be on board. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much, Danny. Oh, well, uh, thank you. This is great fun. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. Thanks, my- Danny. Okay. Take care. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye bye. So, Scotty. Yeah, that was a great interview, man. It was a lot of fun, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like we could have been there for a lot longer, but I didn't want to chew up time, uh, chew up more of Danny's time, obviously, because he's on the East Coast um, and you're on the West Coast and I'm in Australia. So the, uh, the time zone difference is always one of those things you've got to sort of take into, into play. But um, having him on for a part two would be amazing. Yeah, and we could, like you said, we probably could have talked to him for three hours. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think... Uh, there's a whole lot more to sort of dig into. Like, you know, the, the book is very in-depth. 
Um, and like I said, I haven't finished it, but uh, you know, you could you could pick any part of it, whether it's talking about Larry Lieber or talking about like uh, Stan, you know, early life in the military. There's just so much over the span of his, you know, ninety odd years of existence on this planet that, um, yeah, it's one of those things. It's very hard to cover and pinpoint exactly uh, anything and everything. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, and I've watched a couple of documentaries on the early years of, of comics, whether it be from kind of the creation of Superman forward to even an overview, and I was trying to look for it and see if I could find it. I watched a documentary that Sci-Fi did a number of years ago that covers the creation of both DC and Marvel, and Stan was a big part of that, and had a lot to say in that, so I can imagine that a book just dedicated to him would have even that much more insight, and he definitely lived a very, very interesting life. Mm, very interesting and rich life. And yeah, I, I can't recommend the book enough uh, to you and, and the listeners. Um, it's a great read, so you know if, if you want to find out more about Stan um, and everything that, you know, his, all his exploits and uh, and adventures along the way, like it, it's it's well worth checking out. Um, before we wrap it up, um, I just want to give you the floor here, Scotty, just to let people know where they can find you, and you can also tell them about your other podcast that you're involved with. Well, Josh or at, Josh Adam, real quick before we even <laughs> do, Josh. before we even do that. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, any movies that are uh, coming out that you're looking forward to. Maybe we could talk a little bit of uh, Star Wars or... Um, oh, yes. The old War of the Stars. The yes. Star Wars. Yes. Um, of, co- of course, it's, it's, it's looming closer and closer. Um, my excitement for that is going into... Uh, Second gear, high gear, actually probably should be, um, would be more appropriate. Um, I've been watching The Mandalorian like everyone else who gives an absolute, uh, care about the Star Wars universe and has Disney Plus. Um, so yeah, that's only adding to the sort of anticipation of the film. I think JJ Abrams, like I've said before, is going to wrap it up with a bow and a cherry on top and appease the fans. And I feel like it's going to, knock uh, uh, records out of the ballpark, um, as most Star Wars films tend to do. Um, I don't think we'll be disappointed. I hope we're not disappointed. I I, I have all faith and trust in JJ. Um, that, that last trailer um, only gives us so much teasers like they, they're prone to doing. Uh, and... I just don't know what to expect, really. Uh, I do, but I don't, of course. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it. There's not really many other films on my radar at the moment. It's pretty much just that. Um, obviously, the Marvel ones are down the line. So, you yeah. know, and there's been talk this week um, about them due to all sorts of things from the trailer of, of the Black Widow, which we talked about with Danny, to... Um, the talk just a day ago from uh, one of the cons, I think it was in Brazil, um, 
<clears throat> and, you know, there's a few things that are, were, were discussed there um, from the one division show to images being leaked for um, uh, Cap. Uh, sorry, Falcon and the Winter Soldier um, and some Eternals uh, dialogue and whatnot. So, yeah, there's a lot a lot of Marvel stuff in the pipeline, but we haven't really hit fever pitch on that yet. But So Star Wars it is for now. Thank you for asking me that because Josh is a Star Wars fan and he's like, yeah, so we can talk about pretty much whatever we like. And if that means Star Wars, we'll talk about Star Wars. <laughs> Do you think that we're going to find out that Rey is Luke Skywalker's daughter? Cool. Good question. I I just watched The Last Jedi again the other day. I wanted to give it another chance and just a rewatch before um, uh, this last one, the last film comes out. It's going to be interesting because, you know, the whole thing where Ryan Johnson sort of made that part of the story with Kylo Ren just say, oh, yeah, your parents were nobody. You're just a scumbag, basically, right? You know, like they were just like, you know, they just let you go and didn't give a stuff about you, so to speak. So, I feel like it has to be touched on, right? It has to, it has to sort of be brought back around and discussed. Um, whether she's Luke's daughter, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that's a tough one, Scotty. I, I don't, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Um, yeah, this in a way we're sort of going in blind because you know it's a different director. Um, Obviously, with the fall back, fallout and backlash of that last film, you would think that Disney is going to be like, well, we want to do things a certain way. And then they'll, of course, give J.J. Abrams the creative freedom to do what he wants to do too. But from what I've read, he also is kind of like piggybacking off what Ryan Johnson did in a sense as well, because it's not like he can just scrap all that and, create a whole new storyline, it does kind of have to play into what was already done previously. So yeah, uh, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, like you got to think back to the force awakens and, you know, there was like characters and themes that JJ put into that film that didn't carry over to the next one. You know what I mean? Like you had, um, I can't remember their names, but those other those bounty hunter guys that sort of interacted with uh, Han and Chewie when they boarded that ship, and then oh, yeah, they yeah, left yeah. loose. Like, yeah, you know who I'm talking about. The Irish, I think it was an Irish guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, and like those characters were nowhere to be found. You know what I mean? So do they? Do they make an appearance? You know what I mean? Like then you've got things like the Knights of Ren, like which we have up. Uh, we definitely are going to see because. They're in the promotional period, uh, material and and whatnot. So, you know what I mean? Like, JJ has to kind of bring it back around to where he sort of had it, but at the same time fall in line with where it was taken. So, it's going to be interesting. I just I just don't know what to expect in terms of things being tie up, tied up. I think it, it, from all reports, it's going to be quite a long film as well. So, there's, plenty, there's going to be plenty of... Beg your pardon? So, everybody pack a lunch. Yeah, pretty much, man. Pretty much. So, yeah, we'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks, mate. And it's also interesting, and, and this, you know, might be obvious, considering Disney wants to do whatever they can to make as much money as possible, but it's interesting that they have titled this last film as the end 
to the Skywalker saga, which potentially opens the doors to, are we going to see more Star Wars films in the future that are something completely different? Well, that's the thing, you know, like, they're they're going to, I dare say, give it a, um, give it a rest and, like, you know, not, they, they know from previous history that pumping out Star Wars films every year, like, like they can Marvel films, just doesn't work. Um, so they will have to get back in the lab and, um, you know, craft out what they're going to do with the next saga because, you know, this is, this is the end of this one. Um, and then, you know, we had the Game of Thrones showrunners drop out from uh, making their their Star Wars saga. They were at the helm of one. They've now gone off to work for Netflix, uh, who gave them more money. Um, so, you know, they, I guess they kind of go, have to go back to the drawing board. Um and see where they take it from here, mate. Like, uh, I just, I, I just don't know. I, I, I just feel like it is in good hands. It's just they just need to make sure that you know what they do next is is huge. Like, it's it's a huge, it's a huge move. You know what I mean? Like, because you're ending one story and starting another with a whole heap of characters that people aren't invested in. So yeah, you know, it, it's it's a big gamble, but. You know, if anything, the history dictates with Disney, they, they know what they're doing in terms of being able to craft a story, uh, like they're masters of storytelling. So, you know, in the in the right hands, it, it could, be, could be amazing. We just have to wait and see. Absolutely. And speaking of being master storytellers and getting back in the lab, on your and Josh's advice... I started watching the Imagineering series last night on Disney Plus, and it is fantastic. Yeah, it's amazing. What episode are you up to? I just watched the first one, so I have to uh, I have to watch the second one. But I'm just at the point where you know Walt dies and where the company goes after that. But okay, uh, yeah, uh, it's it's fantastic, and I haven't watched the Mandalorian yet, but. I'm going to get to it because everybody keeps telling me that it's amazing and how, like, ridiculously uh, cute and awesome Baby Yoda is. <laughs> yes, Baby Yoda, the icon, the icon living. <laughs> um, so, yeah, look, before before uh, we, we jet off, mate, uh, do you want to tell the people where they can contact you and um, so on and so forth? Absolutely. I am on Twitter. I'm trying to tweet more and use it more. At SWJ Speaks. Also, the same thing on Instagram. I'm there. I'm on Instagram a little bit more. Um, although, right now, I'm not really anywhere much because uh, it's my busy time of year. I own my own uh, home business, digitizing home movies called VHS Master. You can check out my website vhsmaster.com if you your parents or grandparents or family members have any old vhs tapes that you would like to convert that is something that i do and i also take care of other video formats as well and also i host my own podcast called beyond the bright lights where i interview 
sports figures that have gone through some sort of adversity, and you can check that out wherever you get your podcasts. So that is that is the stuff that I needed from you, Scotty. Thank you so much, and you have uh, given out the details in a clear and concise manner. Thank you. Um, as per usual, thank you, Scotty, also for assisting with uh, the production of the show today and also stepping in uh, while Josh was away and Don was under the weather. I couldn't appreciate it enough. Absolutely, um, man. It's been fun. Yeah, it's, it's always fun. We always have, have a good time doing this. Uh, and, you know, when we have guests like Danny on, it only makes the show easier and more fun. Um, so yeah, in terms of, uh, where you can find us on, uh, social media, where myself, uh, Josh and the show are all on Twitter. You can find me at how's they do. Now, normally it's Josh who buggers up saying, pronouncing yeah. <laughs> or spelling my name. And I just went ahead and did it anyway. So, um, yeah, you can follow me, follow me at how Zito. That's H-O-W-S-I-T-O. Um, you can find uh, Josh at Fight on Twist. Um, and you'll find Third and Nerd at Third 3RD and Nerd uh, on Twitter. Uh, that's where we post our shows as well as from all our own personal accounts. Um, once again, thanks to Danny for coming on today and thank you guys for listening and uh, until next time uh, I'm just going to leave us with two words from the great man himself Stanley and that is enough said thanks for not passing on third and nerd everybody